We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Cash Considerations Podcast, a Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. This is episode number six, and we're going to start off with a special announcement. Jason, in episode six, we're finally on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play. Dare I say, we're basically a legitimate podcast at this point. Yeah, I guess so. We're, we're finally going there. It took us long enough. We uh, took several weeks, a bunch of episodes, but now we're finally... Kind of, I wouldn't say hitting the big time, but we're a bit more legit now. So you can find us on all your, whatever, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, you can find us now. Don't worry. It's still not going to sound that good. And we still don't know how to edit anything we're doing. So it's a straight stream of consciousness. Damn right. That's what you're getting with the Cash Considerations podcast. Yeah, that's what we were going for from the start. Just We're just shooting the shit about the Bulls and and that's it. That's that's what you're going to get. So the Bulls are now 4-10 and 10 after losing on Monday night. We're taping this after the game to the Dallas Mavericks, 103-98. Uh, Bulls fall again in another pretty close game. Uh, this comes off the heels of their victory over the Cleveland Cavaliers on Saturday. So I think we should start off with this Mavericks game. Uh, pretty ugly game all around. One of the big trends for the Bulls recently since that Warriors game, Stefan No wrote a great piece about this today at the athletic was that the bulls have been intentionally trying to like slow the pace to give themselves a chance in games as someone who watches way too much college basketball it's very reminiscent of how a shitty overmatched college team <laughs> tries to just like junk things up because they know they you know in a high possession game Place, zone do that all that trash yeah the bulls are zo- they're like a zone defense away from being Monmouth right now. But like, <laughs> this is what all college teams do, right? It's like you try to limit the possessions when you suck, when you're the underdog, because yeah. you know you can't match talent with a better team doing a run and gun. So credit Fred Hoiberg for adopting this strategy. The Bulls, since that Warriors game, they only have one win, but they haven't lost by double digits. Uh, well, I guess they have two wins, right? Two wins, the uh, Knicks and oh, yeah. the Cavs. Knicks and two, Cavs. Two, oh, yeah. two wins. Uh, like crazy-ass one-point wins against shitty teams. Just kind of wild games. Right, so they got they got two wins since that Warriors blowout. Uh, they have not been defeated by double digits uh, over that stretch. So, you know, it's not fun to watch. I mean, there's very little ball movement going on right now. What I noticed today is that basically the entire offense is just everyone standing around draining the shot clock and hoping Levine can bail him out in the last uh, few seconds of a possession. It's just some ugly stuff. I think Levine's recent numbers have really reflected that. He was not great tonight. You know, the the line's going to look good uh, on the surface. 26 points, five rebounds, uh, five assists, four steals. But he was only 8-23 from the field. Uh, he did get to the foul line, 11 free throw attempts, made 10 of them. So it was a mixed bag for Levine. But, you know, the efficiency that we saw at the beginning of the season is starting to come down a little bit. I honestly think that has a lot to do with the style of play the Bulls are playing. When you're going to grind out possessions and not do this, like, run-and-gun, pace-and-space stuff, uh, it's just going to put a hamper on one guy's efficiency and. You know, that also coincides with Jabari Parker's return to the lineup. We could talk about him a little bit more later. So Levine's performance is one thing that stuck out to me tonight. Uh, what, what were your impressions of this game? Yeah, I did not see the whole game yet. I was playing on rewatching, but I did watch the beginning, which was really ugly. Some missed layups, both teams, some turnover sloppiness. And then I watched the entirety of the fourth quarter, and Levine did really struggle. 
He had problems with turnovers. He had seven turnovers. That's been an issue with him all season. But again, again, I, I can't even like really. His shot selection was questionable. Some bad turnovers, but I can't even really just blame him that much because just there's just so much pressure on him to create so much of the offense with Lowry out, with Dunn out, with Denzel out, with Portis out. There's there's just so many guys. There's only so many guys on the roster that can create offense, and just having him do so much. And like you mentioned, when it's being slowed down in a half court setting, and another thing is defenses are putting so much attention on him. Now. They're double, they're hard doubling him, getting the ball out of his hands. He's got to make a lot of decisions, and he has done some nice things finding finding big guys in the middle of the floor, finding Wendell Carter. He had a nice pass to Robin Lopez, and Lopez dished it off. I, I can't remember who it was for a basket. So he has done some nice things in terms of that. But overall, when he's got his usage is up over 30 and defenses are king on him and there's just there's just not much other talent in the court. I mean, there's it's, it's only natural for, for his efficiency to come down. So, I mean, I can't even be that upset about that. Would, this, would it be nice if the shot selection was better? Yes. Would it be nice if the turnovers came down? Yes. But, like, I mean... But right now, like I'm, I can't really complain about Zach Levine. He's basically their only consistent source of offense. So, I mean, besides him, I mean, really, just nobody yeah. else. Was- I, 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 want to, I want to read this off real quick. Good yeah. tweet from Mark Stratman tonight. Uh, before we change the subject, Levine is shooting fifty for one thirty-four over his last six games. That's thirty-seven point three percent from the field, and that includes the Knicks game where he was thirteen to twenty-five. Uh, so obviously, he's been having to do a lot. He's also averaging forty minutes a game over that stretch. So, you know, it just stands to reason that with the Bulls playing a slower pace, with defenses loading up against him, with him just carrying an incredible burden offensively, the efficiency is going to dip a little bit. I do think there have been some bright spots in Levine's recent plays still, despite the fact that his efficiency has dipped a little. Dude, he's turning into a pretty good passer. Like, I think he gets better every single game as a passer, and I always thought this was the one silver lining of the Chris Dunn injury. Levine's had the ball in his hands a lot more. He's had to act as sort of that offensive initiator role, even with Archie Diacono in the starting lineup now, uh, even with some other guys getting some creation opportunities. It's it's mostly Levine. I mean, like, 80 to 90% of the possessions throughout the game are on Zach Levine's shoulders to create and I think that he has made strides as a passer. I'm telling you, he throws two or three passes a game that makes me think that's something he can continue to build on. He can uh, you know, continue to grow with his vision as a passer, and he seems to particularly have a good rapport with Carter. Every does, time yeah. Levine talks about Carter in the media, he's constantly praising him. Carter did not have his best game tonight. It was actually one of his worst games as a pro. Seven points, ten boards, three and nine shooting from the field. Carter still made a pretty big impact defensively. He did have a sick block of Luka Doncic, and he was and he was plus ten. Not that plus minus means everything, but he was plus ten. So like, even while he missed all three of his three pointers, like I said, he didn't shoot very well. He has been so huge defensively. I wrote something the other day for Forbes about Carter, just about how good he, how well he's been playing, and just the defense. This kind of the team, the defense of the Bulls have been playing lately has been so much better since that Warriors game. Much more respectable. I think some of it is has not been. It's been somewhat lucky at times. But when Carter's been on the floor, they've played like an elite defense, and and I think a lot of it has been him. His rim protection has been terrific. He's averaging like over two blocks a game. He's that's up towards the leaders as a rookie. One of the stats I saw was that like he's uh, field goal percentage against at the rim. Some of the defensive stats can you, you never know how how reliable those can be. For, but from a the tracking at NBA.com, he was at like 50%, I think, against at the rim, which is terrific. I think it was like third or fourth among high-volume defenders at the rim. Like, he's been just absolutely terrific, just coming along so quickly for such a young player. I know we talked about how good he was on our last podcast was the the actual headline, the title of it was like Wendell Carter is everything. But even though he didn't even have his best game today, at least offensively, he's still making an impact in other areas. He still rules, and I find myself checking out mentally when he's not in the game. It's like, for as good as Levine has been, all I really want to watch is Carter. Levine's been super fun, too, but a lot of times they're on the floor together, and that's when the game is really compelling. What really stands out to me is, like, covering the draft these last few years at SB Nation, there's such a huge learning curve for rookie centers defensively. And Carter doesn't turn 20 years old until the regular season ends. He's 19 the whole damn year. He's already like a master. It like the intric the intricacies of playing NBA level defense, which is honestly shocking. I yeah, mean, one of the things uh, on that note, I, I can't remember who pointed out. I might have been Stefano again. Uh, the thing about tagging like the you know, offensive player to avoid defensive three seconds. I think he was the one who showed the video of it. Just like staying, 
hanging around the rim, tagging the his his man to avoid a defensive three seconds, and then going back and challenging shots. I can't remember. I think that was the Cavs game. I think he. I can't remember who he blocked, but just like little stuff like that. And I think after the game, I think Hoiberg might have said it or Carr might have said it that uh, that Robin Lopez spent like an entire practice session once just teaching him that, and he's learning that and he's picking that up so quickly and doing it in game. So that that just that kind of those little things just help Carter stand out as a young player and making that kind of difference on defense. Yeah, I remember John Greenberg wrote a thing on Carter at the beginning of the season where he talked to Hoiberg, and one thing that Hoiberg said that stuck with me was that you only have to tell Carter something once. He's just a quick learner. He gets it right away. Uh, The fact that he's this good defensively from the get-go is a huge testament to his mind, I think, because, you know... Every time we had him do a draft, we're talking about wingspan, we're talking about vertical leap inches, but the hardest thing to measure is still feel for the game. That's what takes just repeated viewings over a long period of time. And if you look at Carter as a college player, uh, he was playing his own defense at Duke because Marvin Bagley single-handedly tanked their ability to play man defense. Carter also wasn't in as good a shape as a college player as he is now. He's really lost a lot of that baby fat. He looks quicker, more explosive than he has been in the past. Uh, And one of the notes that I wrote down while watching the Cavs game is Wendell Carter can be whoever you want him to be. It's like there's two types of centers in the NBA right now. There's the guy who's going to be like the rim runner, the guy who's going to set a screen, dive to the basket, catch the alley-oop. Or there's the dude who's going to set the screen, pop, and is going to either facilitate out of like the high post area or he's going to shoot the three. Carter can do both of those things. He looks a lot more explosive in terms of finishing dunks and alley-oops than he did in college. I mean, I thought that he might be just a little under-athletic initially when when he first declared for the draft. He might be a little under-athletic to be that type of guy who could, you know, be a rim runner, someone who can be catching lobs all day. But uh, he definitely has that skill set. We've seen him dunk everything so far with the Bulls. So that's been phenomenal. He's also been like a rim-level rebound grabber, which has been great. And then in terms of his pick-and-pop ability, I think he sort of has a slow release on his jump shot. But, man, when he gets time and can set his feet, he is a really good stroke. Uh, I think he's shooting something like 80% from the foul line this year. He's shooting uh, 38% from three and 76% from the foul line. I got the numbers up right now, so... Uh, he's got a great stroke. He just doesn't have a quick release. But, you know, if you give him time and dare him to take that shot, he's going to knock it down. Right, yeah. As, as a big man, not having the quickest, I mean, that's fine. I mean, tons of big guys step out. They don't have the quickest release. We saw Brooke Lopez hit, like, eight three-pointers, and he's not getting, he's not firing up quick release shots. But if you can ma- hit those shots out there, spread the floor as a big man, that makes the offense so much, so much more dynamic. Yeah, so I think Carter's been phenomenal. Uh... You know, he, he's the reason to watch every game. And I really like Archie Diacono, too. I know we both watched the Cavs game. Uh, Archie Diacono, that was sort Third of his game. His first start. Yeah. His first start. I mean, once again, Hoiberg looks like he made a great move, pulling campaign from the starting lineup to a DNP. Now Archie Diacono is the starter. Shaq Harrison uh, is the backup. And Archie Diacono in that game against the Cavs, 15 points on 6-8 shooting. He was great in the first quarter. Uh, Levine went to bat for him after the game. I don't have the quote in front of me, but Levine was praising R.G. Diakono's play. Uh, why not go with R.G. Diakono, right? It's like the Bulls needed more of a defensive he's, compliment. He's steady. He plays hard. He's a smart player. He shoots pretty well. He, he started today shooting really well. I know he did, he finished poorly. He was only 3 of 9, overall 2 of 7 from 3. But he had 6 assists, 0 turnovers. He was a plus 6. He did have 5 fouls, but just... Overall, he's like I made fun of him last year. I did not think he was an NBA player. I mean, just a little, little try-hard white guy, like easy guy to like whatever, just kind of brush off. But like he's played really solid so far this year, and I, and I got to give him credit. And I mean, he's just way more of a steady presence out there than campaign. His campaign since that huge game has been absolutely terrible. And so for, Fred made the switch, and so far Arch has been a really solid player, just both ends of the floor. He just he's obviously going to be overmatched against the better point guards in the league. And, that, I mean, he's never going to be an actual good starter on a good team, obviously. But he's proving that he can stick in the league. And for right now, with what the Bulls have with Dunhurt and with their point guard situation, you might as well start him and play him big minutes because he's at least a steady presence out there. He can hit threes. He can move the ball, make the smart play, and at least try his hard on defense. Yeah, and, you know, it's another 
sort of bullet point in the fact that I think Hoiberg's coaching well this year. When you look at the fact that he's been unafraid to make quick coaching changes, uh, like benching Jabari in the preseason, installing Carter as the starter in the preseason, now he has changed the point guard lineup. He's also gone back to Robin Lopez as the backup center after flirting with Felicio for a little bit. Robin Lopez has given him tons of good minutes uh, since he's been installed yeah. as a backup center. So I really like everything Hoiberg's doing this year. You'll even see some uh, some players from Stefan. This, we should, people should just be listening to Stefan's podcast because we're just <laughs> enough anyway. But Seriously. I, I, he, he's been doing some good work in terms of showing the ATOs that Hoiberg's been coming up with. So, uh, you know, Hoiberg just now sort of seems to be uh, – finally standing up for himself a little bit. I think that he's initiate. he's uh, just like, he realizes that this, you know, th- there's a lot of pressure on him. Like, who? no one seems to really know the status of his contract heading into that fifth year. Uh, is it guaranteed? Like, no one really knows. There's There seems to be this widely held belief that this is likely going to be Fred Hoiberg's last season with the Bulls. Maybe he won't even make it out of the year. But I got to say, man, he's coaching pretty well right now and. Uh, he deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, like after that Warriors game, I think it was after the Warriors game, I wrote something like, is Fred going to be like the ne- next coach fired? And I said probably not because of the injuries and stuff, as long as they weren't getting embarrassed on a nightly basis. And as we talked about, they have been, they haven't won that many games, but they've been staying competitive. They were competitive against the Nuggets, competitive against the Pacers, against the Rockets. And while the Rockets haven't been good to start of the season, like those are really quality teams and at least stay close and be competitive in those games with a chance to win at the end, that's really all you can ask for with the roster that they're, that they're putting out there now. Like staying close and then losing close games is probably the best case scenario. As we've talked about, we want them to get high pick and get one of those Duke guys. But as long as they're competitive and at least while it might be ugly at times, like that's there's just so much you can do with a shit roster with so many injuries right now. So like stay close, be competitive. You're not they're not getting blown out every now. Like you look at like I feel like the Phoenix Suns like. People were expecting them to take a, a little step forward this year with the young talent they have. They brought in some veterans, and they've been, I feel like they've been getting their ass beat like on a on a nightly basis. They're I think they fell to like two and eleven, and like so if the Bulls were like that and just getting shellacked every night, and it looked like with that Warriors game earlier in the year, the Hornets game they lost by thirty, that they were on their way to that. But lately, they've really turned it around. Like you said the the style has changed a bit. Just they're kind of mucking up the games and they're staying competitive. We'll see what happens. We'll talk about this a little more later with the upcoming schedule. The rest of the week is a is a real bitch. And so we'll see if they can stay close in those upcoming games. But for right now, Fred is doing really doing the best he can with what he's got. You know, I guess one of my only real qualms is he's playing Justin Holiday like 35, 36 minutes a game. And I I wish I could I, I would like to see a little more Chandler Hutchinson. He only played 18 minutes tonight. Uh, I think he only, only played like five minutes in the second half, despite he had nine points, nine rebounds, did some really nice things. He's a pretty good cutter, aggressive attacking the basket. The nine rebounds in 18 minutes is really impressive for a wing. So I would like to see a little more Hutch, a little less Holiday, but I guess maybe they're just trying to audition Holiday for a trade somewhere. I would guess Holiday gets traded at some point. But other than that, I, I mean, I can't have too many qualms with what Hoiberg's doing. Yeah, I want to talk about Hutchison too because I thought today – I didn't see that Rockets game when he had 12 points. That's been the only game he scored in double digits so far. But I thought today was his best game that I've seen. Nine points, nine rebounds, 4-7 from the field in 18 minutes. Uh, I'm still not super high on him because, like, he his first shot attempt against the Cavs, like, he totally bricked. <laughs> his, his, shoot, his, his jumper he, – he did hit his only three today, but his jumper is not pretty. You see it in his threes. You see it in his free throws, like – you gotta get Fred Hoiberg, MD, shot doctor on that, and I'm, I, I feel like I've read that they are working really hard to rework his shot because it's, it is just not pretty. So it's not, it's not even just the jumper though. Like that first one against the Cavs was a drive where he like bodied up and had like a four foot look at the basket and just totally bricked it. I just don't think he has like the poise about him that Carter has. Which is why, like, drafting seniors and thinking that they're going to be NBA-ready right off the bat, I mean, that is just such a flawed mindset. It's like the reason they were in college four years in in the first place is because they're not NBA-ready. So uh, Hutchison does do some things I like. He's really good pushing the ball in transition. I like his vision. He definitely seems to compete defensively, compete on the glass. So I want to see more of Hutchison for sure. 
Uh, I think that he's gonna he's a player who's like made for Twitter highlights. Like you're gonna see some flashes from him. He's had a few dunks already this year dunks, yeah. that have made for great highlights, but in general, I'm not super optimistic on him, but definitely want to see more of him. The Bulls have nothing to lose, especially with Valentine being out right now. It's disappointing, uh, sort of, that he's only playing 18 minutes a game uh, over the month, so or over the whole year, I guess. So uh, I'd like to see a little bit more of him. I did think he played well tonight, and Fred, just put him out there. Like, we can, we can only take so many Justin Holiday. Yeah, like, Holiday's been fine. Like, he's solid veteran, solid role player, yeah. but, like... I, I like Holiday. And he's playing... He's playing 36 minutes a game, like top 10 NBA in minutes. Like while that some of it's out of necessity because of Denzel's injury, it's just like, just play your rookie more, man. Come on. Like you don't need 36 minutes a game at Justin Holiday. Totally agree. Uh, do you want to talk about the Cavs game a little bit? That was a rare Bulls win, so we should yeah, focus first, on it. First, I do, I do want to make a statement about Chandler Hutchinson. I was bitching about this on Twitter uh, I believe Stacey King has referred to him multiple times as young Pip. And I would like to say oh that I think God. that is ridiculous. They, that, needs, that needs to end. It needs to stop. Scotty Pippen is one of the best players of all time. Obviously, he was raw, little-known guy coming out of central Arkansas. Still, I mean, just don't, just don't do it. I can't, I can't deal with it. Like Again, Scotty Pippen, one of the best players of all time. Second best bull ever. Just... Don't put that on the kid. Like, sure, he does some similar stuff in terms of lengthy. <sighs> He's 6'7". That's it. That's where the similarity is at. Don't, Just because you're 6'7 doesn't mean you get There's a million. There are a million 6'7 rangy athletic wings, and they're not all fucking young Scotty Pippen. Just don't do it. Stop with that nickname. I don't want it until he – I actually never. Like, Hutchins would be a great player. I don't ever want to hear him called young pick because Scotty Pippen's one of the best fucking players ever. That's rant over. Let's move on to the Cavs okay. game. Great, Ryan. Uh, Cavs game, Carter was a stud in that game. 15 points, five boards, five of six from the field. Uh, that game is mostly going to be remembered for how it ended. Jabari Parker. Game-saving block. Ceiling block. Unbelievable. And it was so funny, too, because... They uh, stopped right in. They, like, on that said, said they swapped out Carter for Jabari because the Cavs were going small. And everyone's like, what the hell are you doing, Fred? And then, and then Jabari gets the game-saving block and Colin Sexton. Hilarious stuff. After kind of a hilarious end of the game, it was, it was just kind of a shit show of a game. It looked like the Bulls were going to blow them out. I was ragging on the Cavs like the entire first half because it was ugly. And then the Bulls blew like a 17-point lead or whatever it was. And it, then it was close the whole second half. And then the Bulls almost blew it again in the final seconds. But again, Jabari Parker saved, saves the day for once. Yeah, the last offensive possession on there was horrendous. Like, Levine oh. was waiting for Carter to set him a screen, but then, like, threw him the ball, and Carter didn't know what to do, and it ended up being a turnover. Uh, that was another game where Levine scored 24 points, but he took 22 shots to get there. I thought his passing again in that game was solid. He had another five assists. If Levine can keep getting, you know, five, six assists, I feel like that's all we can really ask for. Uh, Blake, I mean, that was the Archie Diacono game, really. That's when he had 15 yeah. points. He was solid. So, uh I mean, that was that was a game that the Bulls have to win, I think, just to stay engaged the rest of the year. Like, me and you can talk about the tank odds. And right now, if you're wondering where the Bulls sit in the tank race, at 4-10, and 10, they're tied for fourth with the Knicks. Uh, so that's where they're at right now. But, like, you got to beat the Cavs. That would have been brutal. The Cavs are a joke. Turmoil. Kevin Love's not playing. I mean, the Cavs are seriously horrendous right now. The Cavs are just as hurt as the Bulls. Love's out. Uh... Who the hell? George Hill was out. Sam, not that Sam Decker's good, but he was out. Chetty Osman was out. Like they're also missing like four or five rotation players, and they're absolutely terrible. They're whatever one and eleven now, and they were awful to start the game. Like I said, I was basically clowning the Cavs the entire first quarter. I was like, this game, there's teams a joke. Like this game's not going to be even close. And then of course they came back. Old friend Kyle Korver had some threes. Jordan Clarkson did some stuff. Tristan Thompson dominated. Rodney Hood had a, I think Rodney Hood postered Wendell at one point, which is kind of tough. Tough and Sexton had a nice game as well too until he blew it at the end. But although I guess one one I remember noticeable thing about that game was old friend David Nwaba. We love David Nwaba around here. We we kind of wish the Bulls kind of had him. He love threw him. up some of the worst three point shots I've ever seen in my life. He almost broke the backboard with one of them. It was so bad. But you know the only play I remember for that Levine hit like some ridiculous turnaround jumper. Uh, it was either like a fadeaway or it was out of the post. He had, he had two shots like that earlier in the game. 
He tried to do that shit to Nuaba and airball there. <laughs> yeah, Nuaba's a badass. Defensively, the guy just gets after it. He's just works really hard. Just that that jumper, man. It was it was tough. It was tough. But, uh, so that wraps up what we want to talk about with the Bulls, but we still have some Bulls adjacent news to talk about. Deal. And that's the big Jimmy Butler trade. Jimmy Butler heading to the 76ers. The Timberwolves' long nightmare is finally over. Tom Thibodeau loses the power struggle. Jimmy Butler is going to Philly for Robert Covington, for Dario Saric, for Jared Bayless. The Wolves are also sending Justin Patton in that trade. Literally the same thing the the Bulls sent. Butler and Patton for whatever. So... So, just initial thoughts on how Jimmy fits into Philadelphia. Sort of, what are you thinking on that right now? I mean, it'll be interesting with, I mean, with fitting in with Joel Simmons and then Fultz. I mean, Fultz is a goddamn mess tonight. There was a whole, whole, a whole other thing with Feels lost cause, man. It's so sad. It's, yeah, like, did you, did you? I'm sure you saw the stuff. The I free saw. throw. He said he claimed that it slipped. It was a. It's literally like Charles Barkley's fucking golf swing, like the huge hitch in the middle of it. He claimed that it slipped and he had to like. Re- I mean, I don't buy that at all. It is. It is brutal with him right now, and like I, I feel like at some with Jimmy coming in now, especially like I don't know how long Fultz is gonna last there. I was, I thought he was gonna be in the trade to the to Minnesota, but I mean Tibbs, I guess, is looking for guys that can help him compete right now, and Fultz really isn't gonna do that. Really, just wouldn't have a place on that team. So I guess it does kind of make sense that he wasn't involved in that deal. He's not but, giving Fultz D Rose's minutes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, with Teague Rose there, I mean, he's, yeah, Tyus Jones is still there, even though he's been terrible. Yeah, so obviously not. Yeah, I feel like Fultz is probably going to be marginalized there, and Jimmy's going to destroy him once he sees what's going on there. But, I mean, with Jimmy, Embiid, and Simmons, it's not the most, the best fit, considering Simmons can't shoot either. He's only made, like, two shots outside the paint, and Jimmy loves the ball in his hands now. But if they can still do some, that's still a ton of talent. They can do some really, some interesting stuff with, if Jimmy commits more to playing off the ball again, or if, Simmons does stuff off the ball, screening for each other, cutting off the ball. Like they can do some really cool stuff there. And they needed a guy to close games for them because their offense hasn't been good all year in general. They're one of the worst offensive teams in the fourth quarter. They have a problem with turnovers, and Jimmy's always been a pretty good when he's engaged. He's never been a guy to turn it over that much. So I think we just kind of like as we saw the the Sixers and their huge rise at the at last year bolstered by that end of end of uh end of stretch last year or the end of the year and then going into the playoffs they beat a flawed heat team and then the, uh, the Celtics just kind of exposed their flaws but Simmons is shooting lack of shooting and Bede's still young turnover prone and with faults not coming along and with their with Embiid's contract I think his extension is going to be kicking in next year like with the cap space dwindling they didn't get a start in the offseason they just figured we're gonna have to make this move now to, to get to get this third star, and, the, and they'll see where it goes. And J- Jimmy definitely raises their ceiling. We'll see if he stays there. If they mesh well and they and they compete, I would think he would like to. You would think as long as he, he gets along with those guys and they and they play pretty well, I feel like either way it was worth worth the risk. Like Covington and Sarge are nice players. They're role players, I think. Ultimately, I don't think they're really gonna be anything more than that. And the Sixers, I feel like clearly clearly saw that they were a little behind. A team like the Raptors or the Bucks are up and coming. They they still need another jolt of offense, and Jimmy will give them that. And he's obviously when Jimmy's engaged, he's obviously also a terrific defender. Uh, I got a couple thoughts on this. They're definitely going to be a defensive first team. This has the potential yeah. to be a totally sick defensive team. I mean, Embiid is arguably the most impactful defensive player in the league. Sure. I guess right there with Rudy Gobert uh, when he's on the floor and when he's engaged. Simmons has low-key been a stud defensively. That was a question I had about him when he was at LSU, but he makes some big plays defensively. He's so good in that, like, rover role. He covers so much ground. He's obviously a killer rebounder and wants to get every rebound just so he can play point guard for a few seconds and push the ball down court. We know that Butler's a stud defensively, so that team is going to be sick, nasty on defense. I think that's going to be their calling card, and I'm really interested to see how they match up with some of the other top teams in the league because they have the guys who who can, uh, you know, lock down all the Celtics' weapons. Or I'd love to see them against the Warriors, how they match up there. Uh, so their defense is going to be fascinating, especially because, like, this is the year when every team's scoring 140, right? So the Sixers yeah. are going the other way. They're trying to build a lockdown defensive team. Uh, I think that's pretty interesting. Another thing, do you remember when the Lakers signed LeBron? They also signed Rondo, Lance Stevenson, 
and everyone immediately bemoaned the lack of shooting. But what Magic Johnson and Rob Palinka and LeBron all said was that they thought that the real sort of market inefficiency was on a was on like ball handlers and playmakers. Yeah. They wanted more guys who could create rather than just guys who could be spot-up shooters for LeBron. Now, the Lakers just don't have the talent level to really put that theory to the test, but that's what the 76ers are doing, whether they did it intentionally or not. Like, Embiid can be a really high-usage star. Simmons wants the ball in his hands at all times, and we know that Butler's a high can be like a create creator. Even though he doesn't have like a super high usage rate, typically Butler, uh, he's definitely a creator. He likes the ball in his hands. So they have shot creators up and down the lineup with those three guys. Now, I can't think of another team with three guys who are as skilled at creating individual offense as those three guys. Uh, so I think that that's really going to be an interesting test during a time in the league when everyone wants shooting. They're going with a bunch of dudes who can create off the dribble. Uh, obviously that will put the other two spots in the lineup uh, under a certain amount of pressure. They're going to need shooters in those spots. Landry Schmidt, I think, is going to be yep. huge for them. He's a rookie who's been a damn good shooter so far. J.J. Redick still exists. Uh, they also have Wilson Chandler, who's coming back from injury. Mike Muscola came back today, knocked down three three-pointers for him. Uh, if I'm them, trade for Denzel Valentine. <laughs> I would <laughs> Right, like Valentine could still be useful, I think, in a certain role. Uh, his definitely his best skill is his shooting ability, particularly his uh, catching or his pull-up shooting ability. He can catch and shoot too. So I don't know if the Bulls could actually get anything from the Sixers for Valentine. Maybe they can recoup some of these second-round picks. Is that even worth it, Denzel? You know, he's not a total bust for the Bulls. Maybe they want to hang on to him for a little bit, but uh, you know. That, that he would be like a good fit for them. So I feel here's like. an idea. I, another, I know another Corver has been brought up, which is like a natural thing. But here's an idea. I feel like I, I saw recently on Twitter. I think I think it was Kevin Farrigan, our guy. We've talked about him before at NBA Couch. Said I think he mentioned offering them Portis for Fultz. Now, like Fultz, as we just talked about, might be a completely lost cause. I think he is. Would you, so you so we do not do that. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I have done such a big 180 on Fultz. When Fultz was in the draft, I thought he was a better prospect than, like, Kyrie Irving. I thought that he was, he was the best sick. point guard prospect was... to come out of the draft this decade. But he's a totally different player because he's just shaken mentally. And so, yeah. <laughs> I think it's clear now that, like, whatever the issue was, like, an injury issue, a mental issue, whatever, like, he's not the same player. He's totally shaken. It's not even the shooting, too. It's, like, affected other parts of his game as well. Yeah, he still has some of that talent. He can flash, but uh, he's never going to... I would be really, really surprised if he ever reached his potential or whatever that is now on the Sixers with Butler around. Uh, I don't really see Portis fitting into the Bulls long-term, so maybe that would be a good trade for the Bulls just to, you know, take a flyer on a high upside guy in Fultz. But, man, I have no faith in Markel Fultz turning it around right now. Yeah, I hear you. Like I, I when I first saw that idea, it was like a week or two ago. I thought, like, oh, that's pretty good. And then like every, I feel like every damn day, I see a new highlight of Fultz, just like with some goofy stuff with his shot. And I'm just like, oh man, I just it's it's just so damn sad. Like you've said, it's it's brutal. So yeah, I don't know if I would do that either. But it's I feel like it's at least intriguing to think about if depending on what the Bulls. I know they've talked about how much they love Portis, but I feel like Portis would be a decent fit there as well in terms of in terms of uh, just adding another shooter at the four. As a backup four, I know Mescal is pretty solid, but Portis is pretty good as well. Uh, but just, yeah, just in fact, I'm needing a shooter. I thought that could be a decent idea, but yeah, I, I, that's obviously, I feel like a complete long shot, but you never know. Really, this whole experiment is going to come down to Simmons. I remember when Blake Griffin dropped a 50-point game earlier this year. He said something like, uh, you know, I'm really glad I didn't rest on my laurels as a player and I work to fit the evolving league. In that game, Blake Griffin took like 10 three-pointers, which if you would have told us that in 2010, yeah. you would have looked at us like we were crazy, right? Like Blake Griffin was never going to shoot that many threes. We didn't think. He was just a guy who dunked. But uh, Griffin changed with the changing times. Simmons, on the other hand, spent the whole offseason saying, I'm not going to shoot. That's not my game. So to me, it all comes down to Simmons uh, you know, having the mindset to make himself better. I think Simmons is more concerned with his dating life, with his partying <laughs> life. Uh, I mean, he's he's a young kid still, so we'll see how that works. But to me, Simmons is the swing guy. He's super talented. Uh, Kevin Farrigan also threw out a trade that I thought was really intriguing. 
Simmons for Bradley Beal and Otto Porter. How would you feel about those two? So, you know, for for as talented as the Sixers are now with three top 20 guys, as Elton Brand said, they did trade two shooters for a non-shooter. In that sense, I actually think it's a better deal for Minnesota than a lot of people do. Like, I saw someone tweet that, you know, the real winner of this trade is the Bulls. Well, Minnesota got a pretty damn good package, I think. And we can talk more about how we view the Butler trade in hindsight, too. But, uh... I kind of like Minnesota's package. I think I like it more than a lot of people. Covington is such a good role player for this era. He slides in perfectly uh, at the three, or the two or the three alongside Wiggins on the wing. Uh, I like Sark at the four next to Towns because I feel like it's going to put some pressure on Towns to man up defensively. Now, Towns' quotes have just been dog shit. The oh, entire God, the, the I mean, leadership I, one? <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck is your problem, Towns? I love Towns. I'm a huge Towns guy. I have been since that draft. But I saw someone call him Carl Anthony Cantor. Oh, I've seen that multiple times. And, man, like, that's the type of thing that gets stuck in your head. Because for as skilled as he is, uh, you start to wonder if some of those numbers are empty numbers. Now, the one thing I'd like to see with Towns is, like, just up the value, man. I want to see Towns take eight threes a game. I want to see if he can score, you know, 28 points a game. If given, I mean, good sign tonight. And the first game after the Butler trade, Towns had 25, 21, and three assists, two blocks. He did have 10 turnovers, and I guess he only took 11 shots. But, like, down, a twenty twenty game, uh, it's at least a very good start. And I think he had a huge game against the Kings as well. Yeah, he had 39 and 19 on 27 shots against the Kings on Friday. So, like, at least maybe it's coming around. Because just, yeah, he's had problems with being soft. I know that Lakers game, he went up against Tyson Chandler, and Chandler was bodying him in the post and just he had no just no chance down low against him and he said it's like said it's been kind of soft he kind of roams the perimeter a bit too much the quotes he said i feel like his like mind was maybe like he was trying to be like nice towards his teammates it's just like fuck that man you just gotta it's it's he just he's got a huge contract it's time with butler gone now like he's got to take over as this team's leader he's got to be the franchise guy like no he doesn't have to be nice and try to be like oh like we're all important, blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, you are the most important player on that on that franchise. Time to fucking do it. Like, you got to go after it. And so far, the last couple of games, it's been at least trending in the right direction for him. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, what did D-Rose do tonight? We got to keep an eye on, D- on the D-Rose. He did have another nice game, 23 points, 8 of 18 shooting, yeah, 3, three of 5 from 3. D-Rose, like, three-point sharpshooter, like, where the hell did this come from? I have no idea. But I, at this point, I kind of think he's going to keep doing it all year. Well, I'm not saying the shooting's going to stay the same all year, but I think that he's going to be taking a lot of shots and he's going to be putting up good stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. At this point, for sure. He's playing uh, big minutes. Tibbs loves him. He's obviously going to play huge minutes at this point. So he's, yeah. So last thing, real, I mean, w- would you rather have this deal or the Josh Richardson deal if you were in Minnesota? Because... <laughs> I kind of think this is a better deal. I'll take Sark and Covington. And I like Richardson. I know Richardson's been a, kind of a stud this year. So maybe I'm underselling Richardson a little bit. But, uh, I mean, people are, like, roasting Thibodeau for this deal. But I think he got a pretty good deal. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it would have been nice, I guess, if they could have gotten, like, a first out of it as well. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean Sark and Covington is fine. Like, for what the position they're in, like, they were up against it. Butler was basically about to tell them to peace out and, like, hold out or whatever. So, like, I mean, they got a couple solid players to compete now. They're, like, they'll both shoot threes. Timberwolves need, could, needed a little bit more three-point shooting. Covington should up their defense. They're, like, the league's worst defense, I'm pretty sure, at least towards the bottom again, even though Tibbs' calling guard was always supposed to be big defense. They've been awful the last couple of years. They should definitely help. Uh, like, R- Richardson is a really good player. Getting Richardson in a first probably would have been nice. I feel like there's maybe not. I feel like maybe not that big a difference. I feel like I don't know. Like I don't even know if I have a strong opinion either way on that. It's like it is easy to clown Tibbs for just how this whole situation played out. The Wolves looked like asses. He looked like an ass. I don't know if he's going to keep his job, but I mean, ultimately, I think they did okay. I mean, Tibbs obviously again he made a big bet with trading Jimmy, getting him from the Bulls. I mean, the Bulls look a little better now. Like when we when the Bulls made that trade, I was skeptical. Like I understood why they did it. Very skeptical about the return when it happened. It obviously looks a lot better now for the Bulls now that Butler's 
Gold already going to another team. Levine looks like a stud score. Lowry looks great. We'll see about Chris Dunn, but they tank to get Wendell. So like the trade ultimately looks like it's going to work, but I still like you mentioned like how the Bulls were the big winners. Like the Bulls still have to win games. Like they're still yeah, a the terrible team right now. That's like, what I hate about the people like anointing the Bulls as like the winner of the trade. The NBC Sports Chicago Twitter account tweeted like now that it's over, like, thanks for the insane haul. Well, dude, I mean, the Bulls are 4-10. and 10. The Bulls yeah. suck. I don't <laughs> think the Bulls have all that much hope. So to just crown the Bulls right now, granted, Markman hasn't played, and perhaps he'll end up being the best piece in the, in the whole deal, but uh, at least on the Bulls' side. I just have such a problem with anointing the Bulls the winner of this trade when they gave up a top-20 player. Like, look at what the Raptors did. The, what the Bulls basically said was, like, we're giving up on building around Butler because we don't think we're smart enough to build a good team around this guy. And also, they didn't want to pay him the big extension when his contract yeah. expired. Uh, so, you know, they might ultimately be proven right on that, but it's like the Raptors never gave up. What they did was they kept building as good a team as they could. And then when another superstar became available, they went out and got him. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of different timelines and a lot of different scenarios where the Bulls could have built a damn fucking good team around Jimmy Butler. It starts with keeping Nikola Miritich. You know, if you have a lineup with Miritich, you know, you drafted Gary Harris. Let's say you keep Gary Harris, uh, that around Butler. You had Spencer Dinwiddie in camp for a while. And then when someone like Kawhi becomes available, maybe you take a swing at him. Or you, you know, there's just been so much player movement in the league these last few years. It's like the Bulls just gave up. And to me, that was such a coward's move when – Getting Butler was like the ultimate gift in a sense because no one expected him to ever be this good. When Rose got hurt, it's like the Bulls had this built-in excuse for how shitty they were going to be. But Butler's ascent sort of mitigated that. You got someone who was basically as good as D. Rose overnight. Uh, so I just have a big problem with the Bulls counting themselves as the winners. Now, maybe it will look that way, especially yeah. when you factor in uh -huh. Carter. I think Carter's going to be really good. Levine's been better than anyone thought. Uh, we'll see about Mark, and then I really hope that he can continue to uh, build his game and improve on a strong rookie year. So, you know, the the Bulls might end up being in a better position, but the Bulls have to win something before That's, they win the fucking trade. Yeah, I, yeah I'm yeah i writing about this for Forbes, and like I think I'm a little more optimistic than you, but still, I, I mentioned in it, like, the Bulls, while it, the trade absolutely looks better now, like, it, it, it looks like it could could have been a great decision, they obviously screwed up so much leading up to the trade where it almost kind of felt like they almost had to do it because they screwed up so much, which is ridiculous, which is why the front office probably should have been fired before the trade actually happened, but it didn't. Now it is absolutely looking better, but they still have to win games. So, like, before, if they, you, can't, you can't annoy a team a winner of a trade unless the, they actually win something tangible. So, like, I would say the trajectory is, like, I guess when the trade first happened, a lot of people said the Bulls were fleeced. That's obviously not the case. But at this point now, it's like, yeah. I, I still think the Wolves were right to make that trade. They they ended at like a 13, 14-year playoff drought. They still are competing now, and they got a couple good players. So like the Timberwolves, I feel like, still, quote-unquote, won their end of the trade. And the Bulls, I think, I, I think this is going to be a trade where and hopefully bo both teams came out all right. It obviously, it looks bad for the Timberwolves. I mean, and the Wolves? Better for the Bulls, but like... The Bulls still got to win. Like you said it's all you got. Just win, baby. They got to win before that. No definitively say anything. There's been no one saying the Wolves fucked up when they gave Wiggins 150 million. Yeah. Because when they gave Wiggins that contract, then they couldn't give Butler the supermax. Butler probably would have stayed with the supermax if they just don't resign Wiggins. If Wiggins were to hit the open market this year, what do you think he would get a year? Like 10 million a year? Instead, they're giving what 25 million a year or some shit. Like that is what costs them with Butler. Because then they couldn't offer Butler the five-year Supermax deal. They just didn't have enough room to do it. Uh, and that's what screwed him over. So it was the Wiggins decision that cost him Butler to me. Yeah. And, like, even – and, again, like, for sure, and I feel like get, you, we look at it – like, Minnesota doesn't make the Butler trade to begin with, the, with the Bulls. Like, like, does that team even ever go anywhere? Like, with Dunn, Levine – Towns, Wiggins, like marketing, like it sounds great in theory, but like I feel Levine probably never blossoms into what he is now. Like, right. I don't know. You guys are still taking 25 like, shots tonight. Believe I that, like that. Yeah, I feel like that team wouldn't be that good either. Like, maybe, like it's like I said, it sounds great in theory on, on paper. So, like, I making that trade and 
pulling the trigger on the Butler trade, I feel like still was totally right for the Wolves. And it's looking like it probably might be okay for the Bulls, but it's definitely not a slam dunk yet. They got to they gotta win fucking games. And for right now, that's probably not going to happen. Let's, I guess we can transition until the, to the final part of this podcast. As we look ahead to the next, to the end of the week, the Bulls are about to play a uh, murderer's row of the Eastern Conference. Read it off. So uh, Wednesday night, they go to Boston, who it, it, it warms my heart to see the Butter. Celtics kind of not being any good, but the Celtics are due for a big game back at home after a one and four road trip. They've been kind of, I think they probably had a bit of, really, of a reality check. They've been struggling offensively. Hayward does not look good. Jalen Brown has been terrible. Tatum hasn't been that great. But I feel like they're due for a big home game. So I feel like the Bulls are going to get their ass beat in that game. And then they go to Milwaukee on Friday night for uh, the Bucks' new stadium. And the Bucs have been one of the best teams in the league. They look awesome with under Mike Budenholzer. Giannis is an MVP candidate. Chris Middleton is dope. Eric Bledsoe has been a lot better. They've been awesome. Just totally, I feel like the Bulls will probably get their ass beat that game too. And then Saturday, back home against the Toronto Raptors. While the Bulls used to have the Raptors, Trashers. the Trashers number, I feel like that's not going to be in the case. That's not oh. going to be the case now. With that, that streak ended a while ago, and the, the Raptors have been awesome. I know the, I believe the Raptors did lose tonight. Actually, I think they're only their second loss of the year. The Pelicans actually beat them. They played really well. Old friend Etwan Moore had game high thirty points. Hell yeah! Uh, so good for the Pelicans. It's a nice win for them. But the Raptors are twelve and two. Kawhi has been has been awesome. Just their team in general. They're deep. They're really good. So like. That's just three games coming up this week, which are going to be a real bitch, and I would be absolutely stunned if the Bulls won any of them. Yeah, no, they're going to get crushed in all those games. I would love to see them beat the Celtics. Fuck the Celtics. Bulls. Yeah. That's Bulls my six. There. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But in general, this is going to be a tough stretch for the Bulls. They're going to get hammered. And if they can like keep any of those games within single digits, good I that. would be really impressed. We're grading the Bulls on a curve these days. Yeah. We are. For sure. Uh, and you know, just some some parting thoughts, I guess. I got We got to keep up with the Zion watch. Zion in the second game against oh, Army yeah, yeah. goes for twenty seven points, sixteen rebounds, six blocks. He had just some straight up nasty blocks in this game. Also, what you're not going to see in that box score is that he threw some amazing passes, especially in the first few minutes of that game before it turned into a runaway for Duke. To me, Zion has clearly established himself as the number one guy in the 2019 draft. Yes, we're only one or two games into the college basketball season. I don't care. I'm taking Zion number one. He's in a tier by himself. Monster. After that, uh, you know, R.J. Barrett, Cam Radish, both on Duke. Those guys are two, three in some order. You could throw Nas Little from UNC in there as well. But to me, Zion is uh, by himself. And just please, basketball gods, if you do exist, do not send this man to Dan Gilbert in Cleveland. We just need to keep Zion away from him. Don't do it. Boss. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve him at all. I mean, at this point, I would either contract the Cavs or move him to Seattle. It's one or the other. No one wants to go to Cleveland. No one's vacationing there, as Joe Kamnoa once said. Just get the Cavs out of the NBA. I'm sick of them. You lose to the Bulls. Just, just chop them right off. Chop them off. So, uh, you know, we'll have some more some more Duke games and some more Zion games to talk about as the season goes along. They don't really have uh, any more marquee games on the schedule uh, for the next week, but they do play Indiana on November 27th. That's a Tuesday. That'll be against Romeo Langford, who's another potential top five, top ten pick. So you're going to want to watch that one. That's on ESPN on Tuesday the 27th. But uh, until then, they've got Eastern Michigan, San Diego State. So... Uh, you know, we got to keep you updated on Zion because I feel exactly like we would be so good next to Zion. Just okay. give us Zion. Also, it's been 10 years since the Bulls won the D-Rose lottery. I think the Bulls are due for some lottery luck once every 10 years, once a decade. It's like it's in the NBA's best interest for the Bulls to be good. The lottery odds are flattened this year, so the Bulls don't necessarily need to have the worst record in the league to, to have a decent chance at the first pick. Come on, NBA. Throw the Bulls give a Give it to us. And- Give it to us. Yeah. Give it to us. We don't even want this to be fair. I want a gift. <laughs> Put in the call to Adam Silver and have him rig that shit. Rig that shit, man. We we deserve it. Me and Jason specifically, <laughs> we deserve it for watching this bullshit bull season and doing a podcast about it. Yeah. Uh, I think that wraps things up. We mentioned Markinen's. Yeah. There was a Larry Markinen update. I can't even remember if we mentioned 
it, that he's still about two to four weeks away, that elbow's being trouble, which, like, I, like, really want to see Lowry back on the floor, but it's also just, like, we know he's awesome, and uh, take your time because the Bulls got to get Zion. Is basically like what it is. Yeah, definitely take your time. It's for Zion. It's not for me. It's for Zion. No, no, Lowry's good. We know Levine looks pretty good. So like, take your time with these injuries. Uh, lose some games and Zion Williamson. It's all about. <laughs> Did you see the video today of Lowry pushing the the sled at practice? And he's just like gassed as fuck when he's done. And Levine shooting jumpers in the corner and he comes over and like pats him on the back. That was one of the first moments with this core that actually made my heart swell a little bit. Like that's the type of feeling that Taj gives like, it. Taj, you and Joe. Yeah. And I finally got it a little bit watching that video. There was also a good video going around of a girl asking Zach Levine for a picture. And then she just starts fucking crying as soon as he comes over to take a picture with her. So that was pretty cool, too. Uh, he didn't give her a puppy. Rude. He did that last year. I think Zach Levine should be forced to give all little girls a puppy when he takes a photo with them. But that was nice to see. And I think the thing with Markinen is, like, he just needs to get his conditioning back. He hasn't been shooting at all. And you got to think, with the injury he has, he's going to lose a lot of that upper body strength that he, uh, you know, worked so hard to gain over the offseason. So, Markinen, just take your time, bro. This is about Zion. It's not about you. For Zion. Is there, we have a good, like, hashtag or, like, rhyme thing for, for Zion, for tanking for Zion. Is there something good we could, we come up with there? Stop trying for Zion? Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. Run the money. Boom. Stop trying. Top my head, but I'm sure it exists. And yeah. I probably saw it self-consciously and I'm stealing it, but. Whatever. That's uh, good stop enough. trying for Zion, Bulls. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, for Jason, I'm Ricky. This is Cash Considerations. Thanks for listening. See ya. Later. And remember, you can find us now on legitimate podcast places, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. So wherever you get your podcast, you can listen to them there. Take it easy. We're there. Do it. Later. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.